right, well, good morning, good morning. Come on, I want to welcome everybody that's watching online. We're excited that you're with us today. I also want to welcome into the room with us all. Uh, we are joined today by our Long Beach and Wiggins locations. So come on, can we give it up, Gulfport? It's good for all of us to be together today. Excited about what's going on. Look, before we jump into today's message, a couple of things that you need to know. I know a big question that we've had for, uh, for actually a few months now is when are we going to begin to open up our kids' ministries? When is that going to happen? Well, I'm excited to announce to you today that uh, we are beginning to, the process of opening up all of our kids' ministries in, uh, in all of our locations, some of our kids' ministries in all of our locations. And uh, so, so this coming week, actually in Wiggins, in our Wiggins location, uh, our, our 0- through 4-year-olds are open today. Next Sunday, our 0- through 4-year-old ministries will be open here in Gulfport. And uh, yeah, so Gulfport's like, Yeah. <laughs> All the parents who are at home right now with your little ones, uh, next week you can come to church, all right? And then uh, we're kind of played by ear in Long Beach. Uh, honestly, uh, uh, volunteers are hard to come by right now. And so we are, uh, we're looking to kind of build a team that can uh, sustainably uh, run that ministry. And, and then we're going to play it by ear with our five through eight-year-old ministry. That would be the next one that would open. A um, few things that come into play on, in that regard. And then nine through 12, obviously following that we shall see. Um, the way that we've been kind of playing it the last few months is, I don't know. <laughs> if people are like, so what's the plan? We're like, we'll see. We'll see next Monday what, what's going on. And so that's what we're doing as of today, next Sunday morning, zero through four in Wiggins and Long Beach, uh, Gulfport will be open and then we'll play it by ear from there in Long Beach and so forth. All right, so how many parents are sort of excited about that? Huh? Yes. <laughs> You've been swapping off like each week been swapping off who's coming to church. And so, so anyway, the next thing I want to talk about is, uh, is impact. Impact is our seventh through 12th grade ministry here at Northwood Church. And uh, we've got incredible volunteers each week who serve um, our small group leaders who serve each week with our, uh, our young people, uh, meet in our locations and have small groups each week. Also, once a month, we have impact nights, which are always incredible, exciting, and always a good time. But behind the scenes, a lot of people don't know that, that Pastor Micah Butterfield, who is our Long Beach location pastor, has, uh, has been working behind the scenes with the kind of the heart and the vision of impact. And so today, he's actually here in Gulfport for the first time in quite a while, like a long time, probably since, well, probably since, I mean, you talked here, but last time you were here, nobody else was here. It was just the camera, like... It was weird to be in here pretty much with like 10 people just staring at a camera. You'd say a joke and nobody laughs. So you have to laugh, laugh at your own joke. But anyway, so, uh, but he's here today to share uh, a little bit more vision and heart about, uh, about impact and, and kind of where things are headed for this year. So come on, would you give it up for Micah? Micah, why don't you come on up? Yeah, hey, as Pastor Jordan's stepping away, can you guys give it up for Pastor Jordan and Nadine? Like for real? You know... Right when all this started happening, the season that we entered into, we, we, we adopted a new phrase when our vision statement was, it's unstable times, don't change the mission to help people know God. And I'm going to tell you this, just behind the scenes, it's not just been fun to work together, but it's been awesome watching a, a man like Pastor Jordan take a visionary leadership role and continue to move the church forward. So honestly, man, I want to honor you. You're killing it, bro. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on the team. 
Uh, you know, like Pastor Jordan said, I have had the privilege of, of serving behind the scenes for quite a while now in our student ministry. And uh, this summer, we had some really cool things take place. We got some incredible coordinators uh, at all of our locations. We got Brent Finch here. We got Victor Rodriguez at our Long Beach location. We got Justin Barrett, who's actually just recently stepped into the that role at our Wiggins location. And really, they've been heading up uh, the, the ideas and the planning behind Impact Nights, as well as facilitating small groups at our locations. But this last summer we had the idea we're like we want to do something like a student intensive and in the midst of everything we had no idea how it was going to go or if anybody would even show up to be quite honest with you but like we were super encouraged over 50 students came and served like two and a half days just to hear about the church learn invest in the church and then like go out on mission and serve in the community so we we're like man that's awesome students like they want to be activated so then we said at some point we got to start doing impact nights again we're going to open these things up and uh, we had an impact night here at our Gulfport location uh, last month, and we had a bunch of students show up. So we're like, man, we are excited about this. Now, behind the scenes, again, I've been kind of advising and talking and, and like serving with our coordinators, uh, but at the student intensive in particular, um, I just showed up there and just willing to serve. And one thing that really stuck out to me was, man, there's just some things that, that, we need some leadership in. We need some vision. We need some heart. We need some culture. And you know how sometimes you see certain things like that and you don't know what to do about it, but then there's sometimes you see things like that and like God does something in your heart. That's what happened to me. And I've learned enough recently and just throughout the years when God starts to do things in your heart, you're responsible to, to act on that type of thing. So we just kind of sat, talked about it, prayed about it. And we're going to continue to move into more of a heart, vision, leadership role in our student ministry. So like, I want to tell you this to the students, but also to the parents that I'm beginning to step into that role to serve in the vision and in the heart and the culture of our student ministry. I'm going to continue to lead our Long Beach location. We're excited. I just got texts during worship with pictures of our service. The room's full. They said upstairs is full of people. Like people want to be in the house of God together. And you know what? Students want to be in the house of God together. So we're going to continue to do this. So here's a few things that I'm going to ask you to do at all of our locations, all, all four of our locations, because we're opening one in Ocean Springs in January. Come on. Yeah. All locations should be really excited about that. But here's the thing. Support student ministry. Here's how you do that. If you're a student, what that means is, is be part show up. Man, even when it's uncomfortable, man, be part. Show up to the nights, to small groups. Even if you don't think, like, what is this getting for me or what's this doing for me? You have no idea what you might be doing for other people. Some of my greatest relationships and friendships were birthed out of student ministry right here at this local church. Also, if you're a parent, support student ministry. That means when it's uncomfortable uh, for you to, like, get out of that Sunday afternoon nap, you know how it is. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's worth it. I'm telling you this generational investment is worth it just to get your students there. And maybe even sometimes your students don't want to come, but you know it's worth it. I would help you. I encourage you to highly encourage your student to attend. I'm telling you this, it's part of it. But then also as a church, we are a generational church and I'm asking you to pray for our students. Continue to lift them up. Continue to give us insight on how to reach the next generation. Here's another way you can support it. Next week, we have an impact night. It's going to be taking place at our Long Beach location. So make sure your students get there. But here's the theme. It's tie-dye night. So the best tie-dye, the most tie-dye gets an incredible prize. But here's the other thing. We're going to be answering some questions that night. Like, what do I do with doubt? 
Doubt's a real thing that students are walking through. It's a lot of things that we're walking through right now, but like there's a heart behind what we're doing. So that is this coming Sunday night, the 13th of September uh, at our Long Beach location. Then in October, we will be having an impact night at our Wiggins location. So be sure to support. But then also, if some people in here are thinking, man, how can I be a part? I'd love to serve in student ministry. Then get in touch with your campus coordinator. Again, Brent here in Gulfport, uh, Victor in Long Beach, and then Justin at our Wiggins location. I believe this, that we're going to continue to be a generational church. And I want to encourage you this. If God starts to move things in your heart saying, man, it's going to be a little uncomfortable to be completely transparent. The only reason I was saying no to stepping more into this role and impact was because it was messing with my time. Just going to be honest. I was like, man, margin. You know, we all love these words, but I was like, they're worth it. Man, they're worth it. I'm telling you this, it's worth it. The kingdom of God is worth it. So guys, encouraged to lead, encouraged to do this. And I'm also super excited about kicking off this What Do You Believe series again. You guys ready for this? Come on, let's continue this. Pastor Jordan. Thank you, Micah. It's good, good, good. Yeah, we, um, so back in the day, our youth, our youth ministry used to be called Straight Gate. All right, that's what it was. Straight, how many, how many OG like Straight Gate people we got up in the room today? Yeah, a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good times. It was good times. So, uh, but, uh, but now it's impact. And um, it is true. Some of, uh, some of the most meaningful relationships in our lives uh, were formed in that small group, all right? Um, and uh, still got text groups today with those same guys and, and people. That, so I, I'm just telling you, heed what, what Pastor Mike had just said. Um, get your kids involved. And, and, and yeah, sometimes it's not the most convenient thing, but long-term, I'm telling you, there's some things that God will do in their heart uh, that uh, they'll re- remember for a long time. So, all right, so with that, week one, sort of, of what do you believe, all right? Again, in case you're, you're, you just kind of tuned in today, we are engaging back into our series, What Do You Believe? Um, we actually started this series back in February, and then this little thing called COVID-19 has come into play, and so we deviated away from that series. But, uh, but here we are again, September, re-engaging back into What Do You Believe? Um, we actually, it's a four-month series. The first month is uh, What Do You Believe About God? The second month, What Do You Believe About Jesus? Third month, what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? And the fourth month is what do you believe about the church? And so uh, honestly, this is a series that, that we have really been wanting to do for, I would think it's probably about two years collectively that we were talking about how to engage in this conversation. Because uh, what Pastor Mike had just said is something that it weighs really heavy on me, which is young people, young people. So I'm 35 years of age and I grew up in church and even growing up in church under great teaching and a great environment, um, when I hit about 16, 17, 18 years old, I began to struggle with my faith. And that, that went well into my 20s, um, it's just struggling with what I believed about God and, and whether the faith that I had was just my parents' faith kind of just, you know, just passed on to me. And, and, and I began to wrestle with a lot of things. And um, honestly, at that point, like YouTube wasn't a thing yet. I don't know. So like you couldn't go and research. Like today, if you have a question, honestly, young people, what do you do? You pull out your phone and you go search it. You know, well, well like, like back in that day, I feel the weird saying back in that day, 
but I mean, YouTube's only been around a few years. Um, there wasn't that wealth of knowledge, which is kind of dangerous, but at the same time, at least you can kind of reach out and grasp onto some things. And honestly, doubt was a big deal. I felt weird uh, having doubts. And so, so as we begin to kind of look at what series, I was like, man, this is so important for this day and age, especially. And uh, we're going to talk about some stats today that are going to show that. But today, honestly, this is what today is. It's a recap. All right, now I'll let you know that a few weeks ago, that today was going to be a recap, and you can go to YouTube, to our Northwood channel, Northwood um, uh, uh, Church channel, and you can go look at a playlist called What Do You Believe and catch up on all the other weeks. Today is like the 30,000 foot zoom over of what we we went over in order to kind of catch back up, so that way next week we're all caught up. Y'all with me? All right, So, so what do you believe? We all believe in something. Right? Every single person in this room, every single person watching online, whether you think that you're a person of faith or not, you, you believe in something. You have faith in something. But, uh, but what do you believe? And, and then more importantly, why do you believe it? Like what has caused you to get to that place where you can actually stand and say, I believe in this? And uh, I believe that we need to answer three questions. Number one is, why do I believe what I believe? Why do I, what, what is the reasoning behind it? That's what 1 Peter 3.15 talks about whenever he says, be ready to give a, a reason for the hope that you have. Uh, number two is, how do I grow in my belief? And then number three is, how do I talk to others about my belief and theirs? Because you might know sort of why you believe what you believe, but do you know enough about what you believe and why you believe that you can actually talk to somebody else about what they believe and contrast and know the difference and be able to serve them and help them in their belief? This is why this series matters to us. It's because studies have shown that in the past 15 years, there's been a 9% decrease in uh, people professing the Christian faith. In the same period, uh, atheists and agnostics, or the nuns, they've nearly doubled in size from 11 to 21%. And also, it's, it's no coincidence that faith sharing is falling out of favor with young adults, even religious ones. Uh, almost half of practicing Christian millennials, 47% believe that it is, it's, uh, that evangelism is wrong, that trying to share your faith with somebody or pr- is, is like pressuring them, and it's wrong. Just what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. Well, that, that logic is just, uh, it, it, it's just not true. Because if we're a Christian, then we believe that what we believe is kind of a big deal, right? And their lack of belief is a big deal. And so we should actually be motivated to share what we believe. So our mission statement here at the church is to help people know God. We exist to help people know God. And uh, so, so we feel burdened by God to lead our church through this. It's something that um, actually years ago, I had a man speak a, uh, a word over me and he said, God's going to begin to give you, um, this is like 13 or 14 years ago. He said, God's going to give you bur- a burden and he's going to, produce- from that burden, you're going to receive passion to actually do what God's called you to do. And, uh, and I feel burdened about what we're sharing about today. I feel burdened to have these conversations, to ask the hard questions. Some people don't think that it's very important. I would say that it's of the, the most importance especially in our younger generations. And so, so you might be kind of a person that say, man, these questions are sort of futile. Like, what's the big deal? Like, you just need revelation. 
And, and I agree with that, obviously. I think there's a, things of the spirit cannot be understood by the flesh. And, and, but at the same time, there is reasoning that we must have and talk through some things, especially whenever the enemy has certain weapons that he's using. How are we at, as the church combating that? So for some of you, you might not struggle with this, but uh, there are other people around you, especially if you're a parent, your kids are for sure struggling with this, uh, whether they tell you this or not, okay? And so that's why we feel like it's important it's also a series that's really about the statement of faith here at Northwood Church. That's really what we're walking through. And so everyone has a belief system. Um, and I want you to picture this as we walk through this series, especially today. I want you to picture that you're sitting across the table from somebody like at Starbucks or whatever, pre-COVID, of course. And um, you're having a conversation with them about what they believe. Now, the first thing that you need to do is find common ground. What is their belief system? Where are they at? And if you remember, we, we walked through this, this, uh, this pattern or this, this, uh, this, you know, kind of this, uh, oh, it's a pattern. But basically the first thing is you have a person who they might not believe that there is a God. They're an atheist. And then the next thing is you have agnostics. You have those who believe that there may be or there may not be. They, they, they would consider them, themselves to be neutral. Right? And then you have deists, those who feel like there is a God. They believe that there is a God, but he's not really personally involved in what's going on. Maybe he kind of spun things into motion and just kind of let, let it be. And then you have theists, those who believe that God is real, that he exists, and that he is still involved in what's going on. And, and honestly, Christianity is a, a, a monotheistic re religion. That's where we fall into place. Now, there's thousands of religions, all right? There's thousands of them. And so we are one of thousands, but yet we still believe that it's truth, right? That what we believe is truth. And so for someone to say they believe in Jesus, there's a lot of other questions that have to be answered. I think sometimes people say, man, do you believe in Jesus? And it's like, yes or no. And if they say no, then it's like, ah, oh, not realizing that you're asking them about 50 other questions by asking that one. And so we want to start on one side of the ledger and move through all of these questions. The first question that comes out is does God exist? Week one in February, we talked about this. Does God exist? And in order to work through this question, there's a whole lot of science, a whole lot of conversations, and a lot of people want to go straight to the word of God. The, the issue with that is if you're talking to someone who doesn't believe that the word of God is legitimate or viable, then that's not really going to do very much. And that scares some people, especially in, in, in the church world. It scares because everything that we believe is based upon the Bible. Yes, as Christians, that's true. However, I believe that, like, like the Bible says, that creation speaks about a creator, right? And so that's kind of the, the route that we want to take in this conversation. Does God exist? And we have to, number one, follow the evidence. Not where we want the evidence to go, not where we want it to go, but where does the evidence actually lead? And so let's kind of dive into that. There's actually tons of scientific evidence that rationally suggests that God does exist, contrary to popular belief, all right? All my, all my young people in school right now, it's all you're hearing, right? Like, uh, like there, there's scientific evidence of why there's not a God, and I'd like to push back on that. Um, but one thing that we have to establish is that science and faith aren't necessarily opposed to one another. That's another lie, is that science and faith are not compatible, that they don't support one another. It's actually not true. And there's a lot of scientists who, agree, who kind of agree with that. Louis Pasteur, who uh, he's, he's the guy that invented uh, pasteurization, all right? He uh, died in 1895. He's a microbiologist. He discovered pasteurization. 
He said this, a bit of science distances one from God, but much science nears one to him. The more I study nature, the more I stand amazed at the work of the creator. The more that he studied, the further it brought him to a faith. I listened to the man who was the, uh, he's a mathematician and he was sort of in charge of the, the software. He sort of created the software behind the MRI machine. And uh, he said as he studied uh, the, a child being developed in the womb of a mother, that he was forced into a place of belief that there was at least a higher power who was putting all of this together, he said, because the mathematical computations involved were out of, out of this world. So, I mean, you know, again, the people who know, right? We always like to say that. The people who know say that, yes, actually, the people who know, uh, there's quite a bit of them who agree. Nature and the universe are evidence of God. Cause and effect is evidence of God. Everything has come from something. something. And, and there's actually a lot of debate around that, that the fact that, that everything coming from something actually is a thing. Some people believe that, that everything came from nothing and nothing is actually in its own way a thing because we as humans can't understand nothing. It's a circular logic that, that really makes no sense. But here's the deal. Whenever some people are so committed to saying that there's not a God, logic goes out the window because you have to put that aside in order to be able to prove your point. See a lot of that nowadays, right? Put logic aside. No, let's not put logic. Let's, let's keep it right in the center, actually. Our God is a reasonable God, right? One thing I do want to say, though, is that in every belief, there is a gap. In every belief, there's a gap. In your belief right now, did you know that there's actually a gap? In atheism, agnosticism, doesn't matter where you're coming from, there's gaps in our belief. That's why we want to know. We want to know. That's what Adam and Eve want. They want the knowledge of God. We want to know. David Hume, an 18th century Scottish skeptic, try to say that 10 times fast, said, I never asserted such an absurd proposition that anything might arise without a cause that anything may arise without a cause. A lot of people, that's how they think. They, they, they have to think this. Dr. Robert Jastrow, he's an astronomer, a physicist, and he's the, uh, the director of the NASA's Goddard Institute of Space Studies. He says that there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically, scientifically proven fact. These are big deals. Earlier this week, I, uh, I shared a story and it was actually this man, Robert Jastrow, and he was talking about, I mean, this is a guy who's been a scientist his whole life. He's later in his years, and he's talking about how he struggles with the fact that, you know, he, he can't come to grips with the fact that there is a higher power, but at the same time, he feels like something's missing. But he's like, I don't really think that I'm gonna have the answer in this life. Here's a man that, again, would know, according to worldly standards, and he's still like, <sighs> Robert Jastrow also looks at the macroscopic lens of what's going on in creation, how we see evidence. He said this, astronomers now find that they have painted themselves into a corner because they have proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in this cosmos and on the earth. And they have found that all this happened as a product of forces they cannot hope to discover. That there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. That was the end of that statement. 
But if we look at the microscopic level of creation, we see this. Francis Collins, the award-winning scientist who mapped this human genome, he said, the Big Bang cries out for a divine explanation. It forces the conclusion that nature had a defined beginning. And I can't see how nature could have created itself. Only a supernatural force that is outside of space and time could have done that. Does God exist? I think so. If God does exist, a God, if we're just starting at that point, talking to an atheist or an agnostic to edge them towards the thought that possibly there is a God, we get them into the deistic realm, that deistic belief system. But what then? If God does exist, I think there's another question. Is he the God of the Bible? We spent a week back in March talking about the reliability of the Bible. You see, here's the deal, guys. As Christians, our faith hinges on the Bible being reliable. Your faith in Jesus hinges upon the word of God being legitimate, viable, and something that you can actually trust. And it is under attack. It's been under attack for many, many years. We have a new onslaught of attack against the uh, reliability of the Bible. But at every turn, uh, our evidence supports the reliability of the word of God. A report, this is a disappointing part of it, though. A report showed that those who self-identify as Christians rank only a little higher in biblical literacy than those who don't identify as Christians. So that means that us in this room today, statistically speaking, watching online, if you claim to be a Christian, that you actually don't know the word of God, you don't know the Bible better than a lot of people who actually don't profess that they're a Christian at all. That's a problem. Because what happens is you... you a lot of people who are having a lot of intellectual conversations, um, uh, they, they, they have 1% knowledge of what the word of God says, but then they want to stand up and say, well, psh, everybody knows that the Bible doesn't say this. Everybody knows that. And it's like, have you ever read any of it? <laughs> a couple times. I've read a lot of blogs about it. Okay. All right. That'll... That's a good starting point. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not a good starting point because people take things out of context, all right, and they twist it and they, they misconstrue it in order to prove a point. And even a lot of Christians do that because if you take and you cherry pick certain verses out of the word of God, you come up with this weird, this weird product at the end of it that's actually not the original intent of what the Bible was even speaking about. But how do we know that the claims of the Bible are true? Well, we talked about four different evidences. Number one is manuscript evidence. Number two, historical evidence. Number three, archaeological evidence. And number four, prophetic evidence, which prophetic evidence is really about the fact that the Bible is like, it like fulfills its own prof prophecies, right? So men would say things, and then thousands of years later, those things would happen. Hundreds of years later, things would take place. And, and it, it actually uh, confirms itself. It's self-authenticating. And so that's what the prophetic evidence means. But the other three, we spent a lot of times walking, time walking through these things, and so I'm not going to go through all of them today. But I did want to read an example of what it looks like when all three of those evidences converge. And um, it's this. The Jewish people had scribes who were in charge of the manuscripts. They were so meticulous about doing it perfectly that they counted all of the paragraphs, words, and even letters so that they would know if they had copied correctly. 
They even knew if the middle letter of each book, they even knew the middle letter of each book so that they could count back and see if they had missed anything. The oldest complete copy of a Hebrew Old Testament in museums today, they're dated back to about 81,000. That's a long time after the originals were written, which was 1450, 400 BC. So one could question if after many centuries of copying, do we really have the original words? That's where the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947 is so helpful. These well-preserved texts date back to 100 BC. Amazingly, there is virtual agreement between the Dead Sea Scrolls and those dated 1,100 years later. This proves that we can trust the Hebrew copies of the Old Testament that are existing today. Now, if you're kind of like, what did you just say? Go back to March, pull up YouTube, go back to the website and watch that, that, that teaching on the reliability of the Bible. It's really fascinating. But Nelson Gluick was a, uh, is a, uh, was a, a, um, a Jewish archeologist. He said this, it may be stated categorically that no archeological discovery has ever contradicted a biblical reference. These are big deals. Because this is what happens, is if, if you're talking to someone who's a skeptic or you're reading someone who's a, who's a skeptic, there's certain steps that they take in order to stand their ground and ha-ha, right? You ever been talking to somebody and they, they, they give you the zinger, right, the zinger? And, you're, and, and, and they're like, well, what about this? And you're like, you got me, you know? <laughs> and what happens a lot of times in culture is Christians, we, we, we always feel like we've been gotten, I go, and then we resort to, well, you just got to have faith. And although without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? We're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. At the same time, I do believe that we should have answers for why we believe what we believe, especially when it comes to the word of God. Do we actually know what it's talking about? It's one of the most complex books out there, of course, in, in, in history, that's why we must be chipping away at studying and learning why we believe what we believe. What is the Bible actually saying when it says that? What was the context? What, what was going on in that time? And then, but even with, with uh, archaeology, they're discovering that what the Bible says is actually true. So what does this prove? It, it proves that the Bible is, 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 is real, is reliable, and that we can trust what it says. It's talking about real people in a real place in real time. It's not just fantasy, right? It's not like just a, a good story time uh, book for your child to read and, and, well, Noah, I don't know, you know? No, these are, these are real events that took place. So if the, if the God of the Bible exists, what does the Bible say God is like? This is a big question right here because a lot of people are describing what they think God is like. And I wanna let you know that whenever somebody uses the word God, or when somebody uses the term divine, that they're not always talking about the God that you are talking about, all right? So be weary, be weary when somebody says, you know, just gotta open yourself up to God. Which, which God? Like, which one are you talking about? Because there's a whole lot of options out there today, right? And you actually, here's the deal. Whenever you're on social media or you're Googling and you're researching something, a lot of people are sharing a lot of doctrine that it's heresy, okay? It's heresy, it's against what the word of God says, or it runs parallel, it runs parallel with truth, 
And then at some point it deviates. And if you don't know what the word of God is talking about, and if you don't know what the, the Bible says God is like, all of these winds of doctrine will begin to pull you. And they'll begin to, 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 to cut your knees out from underneath you. And nowadays, people are so good at contextualizing things in 15-second little videos, right? Like Insta story, you tap on it, and it's like, oh, whoa, they made a good point. But they said like seven things in seven seconds that you don't actually believe, and, and they subtly said it in such a way that you end up at the end completely confused. And what it's doing for a lot of Christians is it's silencing them because you're, out, you're in fear. Did you know that it's okay not to know the answer to something? Like, it's okay. You know what I say a lot? I don't know about that. Let me go, I'm gonna go do some research on that. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go see what the Bible says about that. It's okay. Don't freak out. We gotta trust in the word of God. So what does the Bible say God is like? Well, the Bible is the basis for the description of who God is and what he is like, all right? The Bible is the basis for it. And so we have to know God's attributes and hold them in tension. For instance, God is just, God is wrathful, and God is merciful, and God is love. He is all of these things all together at the same time. And what I keep hearing over and over, which is absolutely truth, is that God is love. Yes, he is love. But he is also holy. And so his holiness does not mix with sin. He's incompatible. It's against his nature. Sin, the wages of sin is death. And, and he is a just judge, perfect judge, right? Who, who judges sin and therefore his wrath is, is, um, is, is towards and is against sin. And he is just in how he judges sin because he is holy. So like you can't throw out one for the other. Did you know that if God is not wrathful, he is not merciful? Because if there's no mercy, there's no need for wrath and vice versa. Like, like, like this is a type of thing that we must hold in tension whenever we're reading the word of God. God is not nice in the New Testament and mean in the Old Testament. He's, he's, he doesn't change. Your perception might change and when, whenever you're reading one story or the other. It doesn't mean that God is changing. What does the Bible say, say that he is like? Well, the Bible says that he is all-knowing. The Bible says that he is all present. He's here, he's everywhere, and that he is all powerful. He's all powerful. And so if God is all of these, we can trust that God knows us, that God is with us, and that he has created us. We can trust this. Colossians 1 says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God is sustaining everything that we see and know. He's sustaining it. He is sustaining you. He's sustaining everything that we see and know. Is there a battle raging? Absolutely. But he is the sustainer of all things. He transcends everything that we see and know. But at the same time, God is also knowable. And he's knowable in the person of Jesus. We stepped into the conversation of who is Jesus. There's a whole lot of thoughts and ideas about who Jesus is like. 
But if you want to know who somebody, who somebody is and, and, and what they're like, the best way to, to kind of walk through that is to actually know them, right? So um, have you ever had somebody that you never really talked to very much and, uh, and then you hear from somebody else what that person said to them about you? Ever had that happen? And you're like, I don't even, I hadn't talked to them in 10 years. <laughs> like, I don't even know. How do, why, why do they, right? Well, there's a little bit of assumption there, right? A little, all these, these things. I kind of feel that that's kind of what's happened with Jesus. Is people are attaching things to him and who, who, what he said and who he was like. And, and I mean, people have got Jesus painted as like this, this social activist nowadays, right? Like, like he came to like overthrow Rome or something. I don't know. And I'm like, man, that's, I look and I see that he actually died on a cross. That he didn't actually rise to power. Like I see these different contrasts. There's, there's a ton of them like that. You got people from every, every political background. You got every people, people from every theological background. Everybody's painting them differently. And, and I'm not naive to think that I would paint Jesus a certain way. That's why we need community. That's why we need to study the word of God. That's why we need to stay in church together uh, and, and rem- keep things in tension and continue to study what did Jesus say about himself? Why? Because if you want to know who somebody is and what they think and who they are like, what they're like, you need to go like, look at what they say. You go talk to them, right? And the word of God is the way that we know Jesus. The word of God is the way that we learn about God's heart. The way that we learn about Jesus and the way that he walked is by reading the word of God and knowing what he said and did and, and allowing the word of God to realign our thought process to what it says, not misconstruing and changing it and making Jesus something that he isn't, right? So who is Jesus who is Jesus? Who did Jesus say that he was? Let's look at that. Well, Jesus claimed, and this was really the first week that we got into it before COVID hit, right? Jesus claimed that ultimately put him on the cross was that he claimed that he was God. If somebody walked in this room right now and said, I want you guys to know that I'm God, I don't know what we would do. <laughs> Stare at them for a long time, awkwardly, Security, you know, right? Where's Tim at when you need him? We got to take this guy out, you know? Um, but, but honestly, Jesus claimed that he was God. Now, now, a couple stats for you. 30% of evangelicals don't believe that Jesus is God. 30%. That means 30% of us watching, 30% of us in each auditorium here today, we don't actually believe that Jesus is God. And that's a problem. That's a big issue. And, and that also, that percentage is growing, right? People just, ah, I don't believe that he's God. And I think that some people also who say that he is God, yeah, Jesus is God. They actually don't understand why that matters. And well, my pastor always said that Jesus is God. And so Jesus is God. Why does it matter? But I don't really know, but Jesus is God. Okay. J. Oswald Sanders is a missionary and an author. He said, if Jesus is not God, then there is no Christianity. And we who worship him are nothing more than idolaters. Conversely, if he is God, those who say he was merely a good man or even the best of men are blasphemers. More serious still, if he is not God, then he is a blasphemer in the fullest sense of the word. If he is not God, he is not even good. A lot of people think that, 
you know, well, well, Jesus said these things, but, but I don't really believe all of it, but I believe that he was a really good teacher. A lot of people believe that. Actually, 52% of Americans believe that Jesus was a great teacher. And I think that's really funny because I wonder if they've ever actually read what Jesus taught. <laughs> like, <laughs> he, if you just think he, he was a great teacher, he, he was crazy. He was. The things that he claimed were out of control, nuts, unless what he taught was true. C.S. Lewis says this, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or (laughs) he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Christianity is a very polarizing religion. Okay, polarizing. You can't mix it in with other things. Christianity is is completely incompatible with other religions because of Jesus. He's polarizing. He's inclusive in one sense and 100% exclusive in the other because he is the only way to God. There's, There's one path. It's a narrow path right? It's through the belief and faith in the cross of Jesus and, and throwing yourself at his feet, at his mercy for what he has done for you that, that activates salvation in your life. That's how you access salvation, this free gift. It's not through trying really hard. It's not through 10 other belief systems. It's not through picking and choosing which ones you like. It's, it's, it's through this small, narrow way very exclusive in one sense. But you know what's awesome is that the gospel is inclusive in the fact that there's no Jew, no Gentile, no male, nor female, no slave, no free, not in the kingdom of God. None of that matters. That's the beauty of the gospel. See, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is the only thing that levels a playing field in humanity. The only thing. You know the thing that makes us come together from different backgrounds, different classes, different races, and us be able to coexist together? The gospel. We are in Christ. That's why the world is having so, much, so many problems right now. It's because the world is not looking at these issues that we're dealing with through the lens of the gospel. They're looking at it through all the other lenses that the man has done over and over and over. It's the same mistake. It's just a new year. God transcends all of that. The gospel transcends all of our problems and all our, all our culture. That's why we must hold fast to the truth of the gospel, y'all. And this message is gonna become more and more grating. It's, become, it's gonna become more and more offensive over time because there's this standard that's been set and it doesn't move. It doesn't matter if the right or the left expands their belief and the left gets further left or right gets further. It doesn't matter. Truth is right here. And we've got to change our thinking and change our heart posture to align ourselves with truth and let the chips fall where they may. 
Who do we say that Jesus is? Well, Jesus asked the same question to his disciples, his followers. And these are the people that are literally with Jesus. Come on, y'all. What was that like? We read a few books. We got a few books that the Bible says if, if everything that Jesus did was put in books, we wouldn't have enough of them to, we couldn't read them all because he did so many signs and wonders and he did so many things and said so many things. But what we have is enough. What we have is truth. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Can you imagine just chilling out with Jesus? And he says, hey guys, what are y'all hearing on you know, Facebook? What's everybody saying? What's everybody saying about who Jesus is, right? <laughs> and so they said, they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Everybody's trying to, to, to figure out who Jesus is. Maybe he's another good prophet, right? Who, who, who is he? He said to them, and this is where it gets really personal. But who do you say that I am? You know, guys, um, we're, we're in a day and an age right now where we can understand what a lot of other people think about things, about God, about the word of God, about Christianity, about what's going on in the world. We can, we can listen to so many other people that we actually don't have our own belief. We have what somebody else has, has given, or we're just a mixture of all of them. Hey, what do you think about this? Well, I read an article over here that said this. Well, what, do you, what do you think about God whenever he says this? Well, I was listening to this teacher the other day and he said this, and, and those are good. And, and look, I, I read a lot and I listen to a lot of different people. But I feel like what Jesus is saying here is, yeah, 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 yeah. What about you? Like, like, what's going on in your heart? I know that all these people over here are struggling with these beliefs. I, I get that. But what about you? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you got it right. <laughs> He said, blessed are you, Simon Borjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, guys, this stage right here represents our, our, our belief system, our logic, our brain power to computate different things. And, and, and we get to a place where we need God to reveal himself to us where we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate things in our life and in our heart, in our mind, to illuminate truth to where we can step out in faith and firmly plant our foot upon the foundation, the rock that is Jesus. And in this place today, watching all, all locations, watching online, I know that there are many of you who are struggling with what you believe. Even some of the things that I glossed over today, you're like, go, go deeper into that. And I think these things are all important, but I know that, that for, for many of you, you're at a place of, it's irreconcilable. There's nothing else. You studied and studied and studied and you talked and talked and there's nothing else to study and talk about. You know what the Bible says, you know what the world says, and, and you're looking for that, that key, that thing in the middle that just, that just says this or that. 
And, and I think we all need to know, and you especially need to know that, that that might not ever come. There might not be that hidden thing. I think about what Dr. Robert Jastrow was saying. He was saying, I just, I'm at a place where science has led me to a spot where there has to be something more, but my brain, my logic, my reason, it just won't let me say that there is. And so I'll just live in this tension till I die and see what's on the other side. That's where it led him. And I think that God wants a better life for us than that. God's grace is sufficient to cover all sin. Doesn't matter what you've done, what you've said, where you were last night, it doesn't matter. God's grace can reach into your heart, into your life, reveal himself, heal you, and set your feet upon a rock. And that's what I wanna bring to you today, Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Wherever you're at right now, just say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. God, I need you to reveal yourself to me. You might've been saved for 25 years, still in the same way, say, Lord, reveal yourself to me. God, soften the, the fallow ground that's in my heart, break it up. God, that the things that I have, the way that I've been living, God, if it displeases you, forgive me. God, would you reveal truth in this place? Lord, I pray for every person, every mind, every heart. God, where the enemy in his power of deception has been planting seeds of doubt and fear. Lord, I pray that right now you would expose, you would expose the plan of the enemy. If you're in this place, if you're watching online, any of our locations, and you say, I don't know Jesus. I really don't, I, I really haven't placed my trust in him. Or maybe I did when I was little, but, but things have changed. And, and now I'm at a place where I need to, I need to really surrender my life to him. That's what I want you to do. It's very simple. You see, Jesus did the work. God sent Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life and die a terrible death, to pay the price for sin for you, for in this moment, for you not to have to do something else, but for you to, to be able to surrender in faith by his grace. So right now, just say, Lord, would you forgive me? I give you my life. I give you my heart. Would you forgive me of my sin? I need you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross, for paying the price for my sin. And today I receive you. I give you my life. I give you my future. And I trust you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, would you stand at your feet? As we kick off this new series and, and kind of go into the rest of this year, I really believe that for many of us, today might have not been the day that you were ready to commit your life to Jesus. You weren't ready to, to take that leap of faith. I wanna encourage you, if you find yourself in that position of, of tension, that, that you continue to tune in, that you continue to come, and you continue to wrestle and ask the hard questions, because I believe that God is faithful and that he will answer your questions to, to the extent that you can surrender your life to him, that you can give your heart to him and trust him. So that way, whenever we sing songs and whenever we come together like this, it's not a wrestling match in your head of, yeah, but this, but that, but you can truly trust in Jesus, that you can place your faith in him. 
The song that we're about to sing talks about how we have victory in Jesus. And I believe that as you study and I believe that as as you open up your life to him, that you will have a greater revelation of the cross, a greater revelation of the victory that you have in Jesus. Come on, some of you still today, you are defeated in your logic. You're defeated in your thought that you have got to attain holiness and attain righteousness. Come on, the next couple of minutes, I want you to surrender all of that. And I want you right now, come on, lift your hands and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I thank you for what you have done on the cross. I thank you for the victory that I have in you. Not what I can do, but what you have done. And so Jesus, we exalt you. We lift you up, Jesus. You're worthy to receive our praise. You're worthy to receive our worship. Now come on, let's sing this together. We will. We will shout it. do right now is at Long Beach and Wiggins, we're going to turn our services back over to Pastor Mike and Wiggins and Victor in Long Beach. Come on, go for it. Would you give it up one more time? All of our locations. Man, today was awesome. I tell you, like, there were so many moments, me and Pastor Steven were texting during the, the message. We're like, this is incredible. Like, like it was just one of those, I like just taking notes, taking notes. Like, I want to share this on social media, this on social media. My son, my 10 year old hit me, says, this is good, dad. I'm like, yeah, it is. You know, come on guys. Today was awesome. So let's do what Pastor Jordan talked about. Let's let this thing transform us as individuals, but I want to help you take your next steps. Maybe you said that prayer at the end of service that Pastor Jordan was talking about. You made a decision to follow Jesus, or maybe you fall into one of these categories. You're new to Northwood. You're like, man, I love this. I want to learn more about Northwood, or you fall into this category. You have a prayer request any of those categories, if you would do one thing for us before you leave today, take the next steps card. It's called what's in the seat pocket right in front of you. Take it out and fill it out. One side of it's contact information. One side of it is a prayer request. Fill that out. And at the end of the service, if you go to our next steps area in the back of our auditorium, we want you to just drop that card off in the bucket. There's going to be some people back there that you can talk to. We're going to pray over prayer requests and we're going to reach out to you to help you take your next step in your relationship with the Lord and also let you learn a little bit 
bit more about Northwood Church. And then as we dismiss today, we want to let you know about this. There's two different ways that you can give here at Northwood. You can mail in a check to 14281 O'Neill Road, or you can go online, our website, northwood.church slash give, and you can give just this week because of your faithfulness and generosity to tithe and offering. We were able to send out investment in the kingdom over $10,000. Check us out, 4,000 went to Hurricane Relief to churches in Lake Charles, two different churches that we're connected with. And then also we sent $6,000 to plant two churches through Surge, which is an international church planting organization. So because of your generosity, we're able to plant churches in Mozambique and Indonesia. We are making a difference locally, globally, to help people know God. Today's been incredible. Guys, thank you so much for coming out. If you, you can hang out, talk to people, you can leave, whatever you do, but we can't leave different or we can't leave the same as when we came in. Guys, have a great week. We'll see you when we see you.